0: Um, so I've been uh, teasing you ever since I got back from uh, California about the story of what happened out there, and so I'd like to ask my wife, Lori, to please come and share the story.
1: Uh, I don't think that's fair that they sang that song before I come up here. Uh, it's, not, it's not very nice. Um, wow. That, that song, I didn't realize when we sang it the last... For the last service, it, it talks about me in that song, Dry Bones, I have dry bones. So that was funny. Um, how was your Christmas? Did you have a good holidays? Good. Good. My story starts a little bit before the holidays. Um, before the holidays, our family was just going through the ringer. Just thing after thing before the holidays. It's just, I, I was really struggling. God and I were just really struggling. I, I, know, I realize that everybody thinks pastors and their wives are supposed to have everything together. Uh, But this pastor and his wife, especially his wife, do not have everything together. And God and I were struggling. I mean, struggling until the combination of it really came together when um, I I had had this dog named JJ. And JJ and I had been together 13 years. And one day, uh, JJ went, went outside and got ran over. Um, And died And I lost it That was it I'd had it It was enough Um, God I'm done I can't do this anymore I'm tired I want to just come home I can't walk right It takes me two hours to get up in the morning I have to wake up two hours early Just to get moving I can't get out of bed Until I've done exercised so I can move I can't talk about it. I don't want to tell anybody about you anymore. That my job's done. Just take me home. I'm supposed to go out in a month to take care of my grandchildren. And I can't even move in the morning. How am I going to do that? I go to Bible study. I don't have anything left to say. I'm tired. I just want to go home. I got friends who are dying of cancer. I can't help them. I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not going to make it. I don't want to go My daughters love me. I love them. I love my grandchildren. But I just don't want to do this anymore. The only one who knew what was going on inside me is one good friend and my husband. But, as I told my children, I want to put you in a pail, take you to sale, send you to Uncle Dale, and they'd say to me, "Oh, you can't do that. Uncle Dale's in heaven. The only one who can take you to heaven is God. So, you can't do that, Grandma. All right, so I suck it up. Okay, I'm going to go to California. California's gonna be for a whole month. Can't let my daughter know I don't want to do that because that wouldn't look good, would it? So the only one who knows this is my husband and God, and God and I are tangling. Pastor's wives don't do that, do they? So you can't let anybody know that. So in my heart, we're struggling. We're, we're, we're beating it out, God and I. So I go to California. I'm not gonna see my husband, who I'm never without. He's the one who helps me get dressed in the morning. He puts on my shoes, he puts on my socks, he helps me put on my shirt in the morning. How am I gonna do that in California? How am I gonna take care of three little kids? What am I gonna do? So I get on the plane, I have it out to California. And we're on our way. While God and I are struggling it out and I don't even know how I'm gonna move. Get out to California, God and I are struggling it out, And for somehow, somehow, some way, I don't even notice what's going on. I'm able to get up at 6 o'clock every morning. But I don't notice it. I'm still yelling at God and saying, God, what are you doing? Why am I still here? I don't need to be here. I should go home. My bones hurt every day. But I don't notice my bones aren't hurting every day. And I'm getting up every morning. I don't notice it. I'm still yelling at God. Because why? Because Satan's taking over my life. He's winning. He's winning the battle up here and in my heart. So every day, first week I get through, I wake up every morning, I take care of the kids, we do that, I love my kids, I'm having a good time, but not in my heart, not in my mind. It's completely taken over. I'm still crying, and yelling at God. Then I get the message, one of our people's died. He's went home to be heaven and I'm saying, what's going on, I should be there, not him, me. Years, I've just been going over, 30-some years I've struggled in this battle. Why? Why? Not noticing that every day I'm getting up, taking care of my kids, having a good time. they got a dog out there. I'm enjoying their dog, having a great time. Still fighting this battle in my heart and mind. Can't understand. Second week's up. It's coming to Christmas. I'm missing Chris. I love him so much. I just want to come home. I don't want to do this. I I just want it to be over, God. Why? What's going on? I don't understand. Why? Why? Just fighting it out call Chris every night. I just want it to go over. I just don't want to be here. I just don't want to do this. But I'm having a great time with kids, enjoying being my daughter. None of it. I can't hear any of it inside. My heart's not feeling it. I don't get it. But nobody knows but me and Chris and God, what's going inside my heart. Struggling, crying, don't understand inside. So Christmas Day comes. I go out and I enjoy and. Smile on the outside, hurting on the inside, go with my kids, and then I go in and I lay in my bed and sitting in my bed. And I open up my phone. I open up my phone, and inside this phone is a text from my husband while I was getting ready to call him. Laying on my bed, I lay there and open up the, oh, there's a text here. So I text him the text and he says, So I decided to buy myself a Christmas present. Oh. I hope you'll pick me up at the airport at such and such time. Ah! So now I'm bawling. I'm bawling on the outside because I'm so happy. <gasps> How did he do this? So I run out and said, did you guys know about this? I, just, I was rejoicing inside. Rejoicing inside. Thinking, what's going on? What's going on? My heart's been breaking for days. Back home, inside, I've heard from back home, i lost two friends. I found out this one another friend of mine is very... It's some, he's very ill, might be dying and I'm wondering why, what's going on God, God you've forgotten me where have you gone? gone, you don't love me anymore and all the time God himself has been loving me behind the scenes and I didn't even know what was going on, not only has God been loving me behind the scenes my husband has been loving me behind the scenes didn't know anything about it, nobody forgot me He didn't forget me, nobody's forgotten me. I just was believing all the lies. So I hurried up, I got dressed, I got all fixed up, ran to the airport, got there just at the right time. God made everything happen all at the right time. I drove the airport and just as I drove up, here comes my husband out with his luggage. He jumps in the car, he drives me back home. Of course, I'm still really negative inside. It's just starting to weave into my heart. God's love is starting to weave back into my heart. And of course, have you ever been to, I'm near the beach, Ventura, there's this cold air that comes into the beach. Now, my bones are still old, even, you know, and they're still breaking down. That's, that disease is still there in my body. And um, so when the breeze comes off the ocean, it's cold and it hurts me. And so they know I don't like to go to the beach, but what did they, what did they say to me? We're going to go to the beach. At sunset? No, I don't want to do that. But I decided, okay, uh, you know, after much protest, because you know me, I'm, you know, not very uh, laid back. I can kind of let people know my feelings, yes. And so I said, all right, I finally gave in. Said we'd go to the beach. So at sunset, we're walking along the beach, and I thought we'd play with the kids. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to separate. I said, what? It's Christmas Day. We should be all together and playing with it. No, we're going to separate. So we separate. And we're walking on the beach. And my husband's the very kind. Of, and we're walking along the beach. And he says, you know, I've really enjoyed the last 40 years. We've been together 40 years in March. We really enjoyed the last 40 years together. I said, uh-oh, what's this mean? He's going to break up? And what's <laughs> the last 40 years we've been together. And so I've really enjoyed it. And I was just hoping that you might. And he gets down on one knee. Spend the next 40 years together. And he gives me a brand new diamond. I start bawling again, and I just cry as the sun's setting down on the beach. And and he says, "Well, are you going to answer me?" (laughs) I said, "Yes, I'd love to." I give him a big hug, and so we had a very romantic, you know, time at the beach. And then I go and show everybody off. It it was just one day, and you know, all this time, he didn't do this last minute. He'd done this before I even left for California. God and my husband. Even before I started falling apart, they had loved me from long before I went through that. They knew what I needed. Long before I knew what I needed. They knew it. They loved me with an everlasting love, a love, love, love that I could never never explain.
0: Don't you love me? (laughs) What causes us to fall, fall, fall in love is when someone loves us beyond a way that we ever thought imaginable. When they love us in a way that when we're the most broken or we're the most hurt or uh, they go way beyond what we ever thought was possible it happens when you first fall in love and it can happen if you're together for 40 years as you continue to to pour into another life in a way that they just they they didn't see coming and in our series as we've talked about falling head over heels in love the thing that, that that's consistent through it is i'm not calling upon you to fall head over heels in love with Jesus, we're asking, how does that happen? How could that happen to you? It's not focused on what you're going to do through this whole process. We've been walking through, wait a minute, look at the amazing promises that Jesus has made to you. Look what he is doing for you. And today is the, uh, the peak of one of those amazing promises in terms of what we're going to reveal to you today. And I believe, I know it's true. If you get this principle, you will fall, fall, fall in love with Jesus. If you get this, you, you won't have to work at it. It will overwhelm you the way that he loves you. So we're gonna start with uh, in our time of need. What, where do we go and what do we do in our time of need? And uh, we're gonna start with this, this simple uh, uh, passage. Every week we've kind of come with this passage, this idea, maybe something we hadn't, ser- said, hadn't heard before. And uh, this one comes from Romans 5.20. It says, the law was brought in. Uh, remember when we started, we talked about the law? We said, yeah, this is the person we want to be. This is the person we want to be. But we don't, have the, we don't have the ability to keep our promise. And the law it went on to say, no one will be declared righteous by the law. You're not going to be turned into the person that you want to be because you find out what God said you should do and you do it. You don't find out what God said you shouldn't do and you don't do it. And then, okay, whew, now you've turned into this person that keep, keep their promises. God says it's not going to happen. It, do, it doesn't work that way. He says, he goes in a little stronger with this. The law was brought so the trespass might increase. So if you had a ledger and you were keeping track of your sins, Once God gave the Ten Commandments, before he said, thou shalt not lie, you were doing pretty good. But once he said, thou shalt not lie, check, 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 check. Once he said, don't covet, check, 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 What does the law do? The law is simply a mirror that shows you who you really are, that's what it does. And so it shows you, and so it says the law was brought so the trespass might increase. So you could, so, wait. Wait a minute, God gave the law so that there would be more sin? Yeah, yeah, that's what it says. Because when the sin increased, you got to see yourself for who you really were. But where sin, then he says this crazy thing, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just in sin reigned, death. I'm sorry, so that just as sin reigned in death, you may not know what those words are, but you would know exactly what this experience is like. You experience, you've experienced in your life so much, it's exhausting. To reign is a word that they used to use about the kings. And this is a little odd for us because we never lived under a king. But in a kingdom, the king gets what he wants. He walks into a room and he tells those people to move this and these people to do that, those people to do that, and he says, I want that guy's head off, it all happens he reigns. He gets what he wants. Sin gets what it wants in your life. God says, thou shalt not lie. And you go, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. And you tried 13 different things. We've talked about this before, about getting up in the morning, right? I'm going to get up in the morning on time. So I'm going to set my alarm clock to go off. I'm going to get up at seven. So I set my alarm clock at 6.30 625. With the hopes that by the time it gets to 7 o'clock, you're actually going to get up. You still don't get up. Why? Sin reigns. I'm going to be a good driver. I'm not going to get angry when I drive anymore. Some of you even take drugs, which is mighty dangerous before you drive. Right? You even take drugs to calm yourself down. But sin reigns, it reigns, right? It rules your life. You understand that, you've experienced it. It's, it's, it's the condition that you seem to find yourself in. It says, Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Just so that just as sin reigns, so also grace might reign through life. That would mean grace would get what it wants. That's what we're after today. How does grace get what it wants? How could I, could it possibly be a, I could live a life where grace would reign or rule in my life? So how do we get grace? In Hebrews it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace. How do I come to this throne of grace? It says with confidence so that we may receive mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. When you've done wrong, And you don't get what you deserve, you get mercy. And find grace. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And find grace to help in our time of need. When are you at your greatest time of need? In your day to day life, when are you at your greatest time of need? What usually pops into our head is the feeling of need. I don't have enough money. My job stinks. My spouse is driving me crazy. My kids are a mess. God, I need you to change this. That's not your greatest t- time of need. As a matter of fact, the, the passage before this, he talked about you, you want to be able to come to God's throne and interact with your priest. Who is Jesus? Because he knows what it's like to be tempted. Your greatest time of need is temptation. Now, let me back up just a second. We tend to interact with God not by grace, or not with grace, or not under grace. We tend to think that God is like our parents. Or like our boss, or like almost everything around us that we see, and that's this: God wants to change your behavior. He wants you to turn. He wants to turn you from a truth, a liar to a truth teller. He wants to turn you from somebody who sleeps around to somebody who's faithful. He wants to turn you from somebody who turns to drugs to comfort your life and make your life work and at least exist or get by, to someone who can actually have. And, 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 and act in honor and integrity. So God's got all these lists. He's got all these things. We almost really do think it is like, a, it's an old movie, so you may not remember it, but there's an old movie with, uh, I think, Carrie's in it. It's about God talking to him, and he, and he, and he becomes God. He's going to answer the prayers, and he goes to the filing cabinet, pushes the button, and the filing cabinet comes out, and it's just huge. It's this giant thing of prayers, and all these people are praying for what they need. They think it's their greatest time of need. If, if you pop the one above it, it'd be the, the, the one of, of, of how people are relating to God and how they think that God has this huge filing cabinet with all the sins you've ever committed in it. And he's just so freaking out over your sin. Like, ah, like your principal. You remember your principal. Don't run in the hall. He walks down the hall. What's he focused on? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't right? We think that God interacts with us based on deterrent. That when he's interacting in our lives, he's he's putting deterrents in your life. It's how your normal life works. It's what your parents did. Do that. This is going to happen. Do that again. Time out. What is that? It's a deterrent. Don't do this or this is going to happen. Speed limit is a, well, the speed limit's not a deterrent. The guy who walks around with the little pad and writes out the ticket, that's the deterrent. Do deterrents work? Yes. For a while. They do. For some of you, the the, the speeding one works great. For others of you, your insurance rate is three times what it needs to be because you got so many tickets. You can't even find insurance. It doesn't work for you. You still speed. You still do it. So it works for a time. Or sometimes a specific one will work your whole life. And then we think that God on the other side works on rewards. People intuitively think this. You think this. All the, You hear this phrase? You ever hear this phrase? Oh, I must be doing something right. What's that mean? That means I did something good, and so God rewarded me. If I do good things, God will reward me. Now you wait a minute, wait a minute. You say, no, I, I've seen this work. I've seen it that when people follow the Bible, good things do happen in their life, and less of the bad things happen in their life. That's a byproduct. It's a byproduct. On the negative side, the reason that you got all those tickets and the reason that you're in debt is not because God is walking through the hall going, tuh, 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 tuh. it's because of a byproduct of sin. People who break the law over and over again, it's hilarious to go to jails. Almost every person you meet in jail go, I, I didn't do this. I did these other 10 things, but I didn't do this one. It's the same thing you did when you are in junior high. Right? That idea is that the reason these bad things are happening to me is because some principle is getting me in trouble. No, it's the byproduct. The reason, the really hurtful one that we watch is the reason that kids grow up without dads, is not because God went, you know what, I don't care, and you know what, I'm going to punish that kid. No. It's a byproduct. It's the result of a man who sleeps with a woman before he signs a contract that says he's going to give everything he owns to that woman for the rest of his life. No, he just sleeps with this woman, and then he moves on to the next one. And then he moves on to the next woman. What's the result? Kids who grow up without a dad. It's a byproduct. God didn't create that. It's created because a woman sleeps with a man before she makes sure he signs a contract that says, I'm going to give you all the money I have for the rest of my life. She has a need, she has a feel, she has a what? She has a temptation. And she gives in to the temptation, and it creates an incredibly hurtful byproduct. Same thing's true with making good decisions. There are people, all, there's people throughout our church that have taken financial peace, and they started practicing financial peace. And all of a sudden they're lucky. They, they're not worried about their finances. Why? Because they set some money aside and they've done these things. And it almost is like money starts flowing to them. They're lucky? God did that for them? No, it's a byproduct of doing right. But it's not how you get grace. It's not how you get grace. It's not how God interacts. It's a byproduct. So what we need is the power to overcome temptation. I've said it over and over again, and I will say it over and over again, 99% of all the problems in your life you created because you fell to temptation. It is true. There are times when giant storms come through. We live in New Jersey. We don't really get giant storms. We don't get hurricanes. We don't get volcanoes. We don't have earthquakes, right? We just have people. People. Right? We have people. And all the problems in your life are either caused because you felt a temptation or somebody else did. Right? It's our greatest time of need. I don't need God to change my life. I need God to give me the grace to overcome temptation. That's what I need. How do you get that? Where is that store? And what do you pay with to get it? What do I need to do? I'm just going to read it one more time. Then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Well, I'm going to introduce you to something called the blue prescription card. Now, uh, a number of you have already been uh, exposed to the blue blue prescription card. So don't answer out loud the questions when I ask them, like, don't blow the big, big, big reveal, right? But do, 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 do remember, oh, man, I forgot about that. I forgot that's what the the Bible says. I forgot what the blue prescription card says. This prescription card is specifically to deal with temptation. That's what it's for. You have temptation? I'm the doctor. I write you this card. You follow this card. Solves your problem. Got it? No, I mean it. This is what's going to happen here we go. Uh, starts off with prescription, 40 days of grace. That's when he introduced it. Dr. Paul, that's the guy who wrote the book of Romans and introduces this idea. He got the message from God. He wrote it down uh, for God. And this is what we're dealing with. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So the most fundamental thing that I'm going to teach you today, which for some of you will blow your mind, for some of you, you'll get mad. You'll get mad. You're like, he's making up the Bible. I didn't make it up, it's right there. You can go get any Bible you want, it's still in the Bible. Like That's where I got it from. And so, we're gonna deal with this idea. How do you get God's grace? It's super simple. He said, the law came so sin may increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. For those of you who've never been revealed to the card, How do you get God's grace? I wouldn't answer either. It's really risky. You sin. What? How do you get God's grace? You sin. How do you get more of God's grace? You sin more. I didn't take this out of context. It's specifically what he's trying to say. So, you've been trying to get God's grace by sinning less. You're failing. You're failing on two counts one, you're not sinning less. The harder you try to stop sinning, what do you do? You sin more. Tell it, you know, take a kid, put marshmallows in front of him and go, don't eat them. Matter of fact, if you don't eat that marshmallow, I'll give you another one. <laughs> that makes it super hard. It really does. If you... If I lay out this, this out for you and I tell you how bad sin is, if you came here every week and I told you how bad sin is, don't do it. You know what you'd do? Yes, I'm
1: not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it.
0: If I was really good at it. And then you'd go home and you'd do it more. But this says the way you do it is you go, no, I'm going to sin. Why? I'm going to get more of God's grace. That's what I'm going to do. That's how you get it. I just want to camp here for a little bit. Because I know you've spent your life trying to stop sinning. I know you've spent your life trying to be good. Because God uses deterrence and rewards. That's not how you get grace. And that's what you need more than anything else in the universe. So this is how the blue card works. You put your name, then your address, and then the date. And then you you choose a sin. This is something that tempts you. This is an area of your life that tempts you. And when you fall to it, it messes your life up. When you fall to it, you miss out on good byproduct, and you collect bad bread, bad byproduct. I, I, I've had a couple people, every once in a while, somebody be like, I, I can't think of one. I, said, I don't know, I can't, I can't think of one. I, I, I can't relate to you. Like, I don't get past breakfast without temptation. I, I, I don't understand. If you really think that, then there's two possibilities. One, you are so deep in sin. You are so, and this is true for some of us, you are so selfish that you hurt people all around you all the time, and you don't know it. You honestly don't know it. You think that the world's problems are caused by everybody else, not you. It's possible. Or you have worked so hard and so long to be good that you made up this list and you keep that list. Now you're a hypocrite to the, you are such a hypocrite. Because God's list and your list, they're not the same list. But when you're in public, you keep that list. It's just, God can see your heart. You're just a hypocrite. You may not know it, but you are. So we, let's be honest. Let's deal with the temptation. Some of your temptations in this room are devastating. You are the guy that sleeps around. You are the guy that has kids from a bunch of different women. And you're a dad to no one. I don't say that to condemn you more than anyone else. I say it to say your byproduct is devastating. For others of you, and this is true, for others of you, you don't have a lot of devastating byproduct. But you're being kept from incredibly good byproduct because you, you're not moving forward. There are amazing things that you could do and a difference you could make with your life, but the temptation to just sit and settle keeps you from doing that. Choose one. Write it in. And then you do this. Now, now usually you would go, the way I'm going to not sin is I'm going to see how bad it is or see how good the byproduct is, and I'm going to keep focused on that. I'm going to keep focused on this sin, and I'm not going to do it. I know Jesus loves me, and I love Jesus, and so that's what I'm, I'm going to work at it. It's exhausting. We're going to do something different. We're going to say what we've learned already. Because Jesus died in my place, I'm going to commit this sin. What do you mean? The Bible says, God made him who who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Another passage says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died in your place. You're not going to die from this sin. The penalty of this sin is death. You don't have to worry about it. Why? Because Jesus died for this sin. Not. Don't think all sin. This sin, the one you wrote on the paper. Jesus died for that sin in your place. You don't have to. You're free. Number two, because Jesus paid my debt. Uh, The next passage says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. He paid my debt. That's the redemption. That's where the shedding of the blood. He paid the debt. Whenever you sin, there's a debt to be paid. Like you better not sin, you're going to have to pay that debt. No, you don't. No, you don't. You can go to the bank and borrow all the money you want. Jesus has already paid the debt for it. Well, if that's true, I'm going to commit this sin. Why? Because I don't have to pay the debt. Number three, because God poured out his wrath for me on Jesus. We talked about this last week. God took all of his wrath for all of the sin that you've committed. Let's, let's go specifically to this sin that you struggle with, this temptation that you, you, you struggle with. God has already poured out all his wrath, all his anger, all his wrath has already been poured on Jesus for this sin. It's not going to be poured out on me. I'm a sin. I'm free. I am free. Now, that's probably enough to blow your mind already. Those three things. The fourth one is why I fall, fall, fall in love with Jesus. Because this sin will qualify me for more of his grace. I'm going to commit this sin. Now, usually what I do is, uh, or what we do in Growth Catalyst is we walk you through this thing and we send you home with this, to which you walk out and go, this is a cult. These people are crazy. (laughs) This goes against everything I ever learned my entire life. This is nuts. I'm going to let you in on the secret because we don't get to talk back and forth. You cannot believe those four things and sin at the same time. It's not possible. Why? Because grace reigns. It's going to get what it wants. If you believe these four things, the Spirit of God will rule your life. You will take your eyes off the sin and you'll take your eyes off of you and you'll take your eyes off reward and you'll take your eyes off deterrent and you're going to look right at Jesus because the power over temptation is a person. His name is Jesus. He's alive and he has bushels And bushels and train loads of grace that he wants to pour on your life. And the one thing you do is you believe him and you accept what he has to give. That's it. That's it. You surrender to the grace of God. You don't stand up and take on sin. There are no tough men when it comes to sin. There's only failures. And men who surrendered to grace and God lifted them up and they succeeded. Let me say it again. You cannot believe these four things. You can read them and not believe them. You can read them and not go, yeah, because Jesus, my Jesus, And still sin. But you can't believe this of Jesus. You cannot interact with Jesus. You know what happens to the temptation? It goes away. Why? Because grace reigns. It gets what it wants. You know what it's like to have sin reign in your life. You know what it's like. You can try as hard as you want. You can come up with as many reasons as you want. You're not going to sin. Sin reigns. Jesus is coming to you today. He's got a diamond, it's big, it's beautiful, it's grace. Will you take it? Will you take this card and go, wait a minute, this isn't about a stupid card. This is about Jesus. This is... These four things are true. I'm going to give my life, my heart, my temptation to Jesus. He's the one I'm going to believe. Will you take the diamond? Lord Jesus, pray for every person in this room. There's some who've been exposed to this before. They've heard it before. And they practiced it, but they lost their blue card. So they've gone back to deterrent and reward they've lost their joy. You never, ever stop offering the diamond. I pray this morning they'd accept it. Lord, there's there's people in this room who've never, ever heard this before, and and, and they're not really ready to accept it this morning. They got to think about this. They got to wrestle with it. Lord, I pray they'd have the guts to wrestle with it. Then there's others who think, ah, he's just playing games. That's just a word game. He doesn't mean it. Lord, I don't know what you have to do, but do whatever you have to do to help them to understand, to smack them right between the eyes. This is not a game. It's not a play on words. It's the most beautiful sacrifice, most beautiful gift that's ever been given in this universe. Grab them, Lord. Grab them. In your name we pray.